everybody. Welcome to the January 16th edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Bill Cosby, who will be performing at the Buell Theater on Saturday. Protesters are expected to hold a rally outside the venue to voice their concerns over recent sexual assault allegations. Meanwhile, Denver City Councilwoman Susan Shepard came out against the comedian by refusing to vote on a whether to extend a contract held by AEG, the company promoting the concert, will be extended by the Denver City Council. Patty Calhoun from Westward, we've heard about this in city to city as Bill Cosby continues tour. Now he's in Denver. What do you think? Well, we talked about free speech a lot last week, and Bill Cosby has a perfect right to come here if he wants to. AEG has a perfect right to continue with the shows even as the allegations come out. And everybody in Denver has a perfect right not to go see him. And I think that's probably what a lot of people will do. You know, he had a great career, and it's sorry that it's sad that it's ending this way. But I have to say, having talked to some of the people who've made these allegations, they sound pretty strong. I have to argue with Susan Shepard because you have to go about the business of the city whether or not somebody is bringing someone you don't want to see. And AEG not only has the contract where they get a certain rebate depending on how many things they book, but also just signed the big exclusive ticketing agency project with the city of Denver. So we have a lot of business with them. You have to take a position. David Culp of the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, I think Patty brings a, a, a pretty good point. You have protesters. We've seen about that. But this was the first time, and it was noteworthy for us, when we saw a Denver City Council person uh, get involved, even to the extent that Susan Shepard did. What do you think? I, I would agree with Patty that it was uh, irresponsible for Councilwoman Shepard to, to vote against this entire agency providing services. And officially she, she abstained, but yes, okay, I get but, what you're but, saying. But, she, but be, just because she doesn't like one of the hundreds of entertainers that, that the, uh, they bring through, through town. You know, on the allegations themselves, I haven't studied them carefully. Uh, I did study the Juanita Broderick accusations against Bill Clinton carefully, and it's certainly true in general that accusations have higher credibility when they're made contemporaneously rather than years later, but I thought Ms. Broderick's accusations uh, were, were pretty strong and, and persuasive. So it's I, you can't rule out the possibility that these might be true, but again, I haven't looked at them in, in depth. Ed Sealer from the Denver Business Journal. Um, we haven't had a whole lot of controversial uh, entertainment stuff coming through Colorado. We've had all the different protests and things else. What do you think of the reaction so far, both from people and from city council people? Well, I mean, it, and let's remember, it wasn't just Susan Shepard. It was also Robin Knich and Judy Montero that failed to, that said they wanted to abstain on this vote as well. Um, you know, but it, it sets a fairly dangerous precedent as the staff explained to the city council that, you know, basically, here's a guy who hasn't been charged with any crime. Yeah, there's a lot of people talking about this, but you can't say, well, you know, people are uh, accusing you, so we're going to cut this show off of, with a contract you've already been signed. And in fact, it was a really interesting comment that Jeannie Robb made. Jeannie Robb voted for the contract but said, you know, I don't like some of the other acts that are coming through here. I wish some of these rap acts wouldn't be booked at our theaters. Um, you know, so if we start going down the road to you're being accused of something without being charged, we're going to cut your show. Where do we draw the line? And then when does it get down to, well, the city council doesn't much like you, so find another city to play in. Multimedia journalist Gloria Neal, also with our friends over at CBS4. Uh, a lot of talk and everything about from Bill Cosby nationally, locally, and what's going on here. What do you think? Well, I think um, several things. Um, immediately as these allegations, you know, continue to come forward. I know when Beverly Johnson was in town, um, she had not come forward yet, but I interviewed her in regards to an award she was getting. But I did talk to her afterwards. And again, to Patty Calhoun's point, 
It sounds credible, sounds very believable. Um, I'm reminded of old Southern saying that everybody's not telling the same lie. Um, all of these women don't know each other, but yet at the same time, we live in a society where it has not been proven. Bill Cosby has the right to come and do his thing and say what he says or wants to say, but we also have the right to not go. And I think that's probably um, the biggest thing. However, I will say this, as far as city council members abstaining, either vote for it or don't vote for it. Take a stand or don't. Mm -hmm. Governor John Hickenlooper was inaugurated for his second term on Tuesday, and former Governor Roy Romer used the occasion to urge him to lead an effort to repeal the Tabor Amendment. While Hickenlooper brought up the ramifications of a Tabor refund in his State of the State address, he did not openly comment that the law should be repealed. Uh, Patty, it seemed that uh, for his second inauguration, Roy Romer gave John Hickenlooper a, a, a Big fat Pandora's box to open as a present. Um, it hasn't got a lot of press. Let, let, let's stick with this. We'll, we'll talk about the rest of the address. But specifically on this point, do you think at any point John Hickler is going to pick up the mantle to lead a movement as Roy Romer encouraged him to do so? I would think that behind the scenes he is working with other people who will lead the way but he will support them because he talked at, the, at his speech, his inauguration speech, he talked about the financial thicket Colorado is in because of the Tabor Amendment. He talked about the fact that you can't grow while you're shrinking. But he also has said that he likes the idea of citizens being able to vote for tax increases, mm -hmm. which was the basic tenet of the Tabor, the so-called Tabor Amendment, as the Denver Post calls it. <laughs> and, but it is actually the Tabor Amendment. That's what Coloradans voted for in 1992. The problem is there were some ramifications held within that, the so-called, now this is the one, the so-called ratchet effect <laughs> that does put the state in a bind with the budget. There are ways that the Tabor Amendment can be changed, can be fixed, still allowing people to vote, but fixing some of those other problems. There's also the Gallagher Amendment, which people have talked periodically about fixing. So there is a financial thicket that I think Hickenlooper will take on because the next governor will inherit it, even if Hickenlooper somehow dodges really big budget problems in the next four years. It was pretty funny, though, to hear all the different pieces of advice the three former governors mm -hmm. who attended his inauguration party gave. You know, Lamb is talking about, think about what you're going to do four years from now when you go off in the world. And then Romer just came right out and said, fix Tabor. That's it. Do it. So, <laughs> David, I know I was surprised by uh, Roy Romer recommending to lead of movement. It's one thing to say, I think Pat's absolutely right, to uh, urge for a vote to keep a refund. That's what Tabor's built for. If you want to keep the money as a government, ask the voters to do so. Tell them what you're going to spend it on. Colorado has done it before, and by cities, we've done it quite often. But to lead a movement to repeal the entire thing, that is quite a windmill to be tilting at. What do you think? Well, Governor Romer, when he was governor, led the movement against the enactment of the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, which is its formal name, and the people rejected his arguments because they were so implausible. He described Douglas Bruce, who's not the smoothest fellow in the, in the, the state, as a terrorist who would lob a hand grenade into a schoolyard full of children. He said that defeating the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights proposed amendment was the moral equivalent of defeating the Nazis at the Battle of the Bulge. He predicted that there would be an economic Armageddon in the state and that the signs would be posted to the state line saying Colorado is closed for business. If you compare actually that versus reality, the 12 years before the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights went into effect and then the period after, Colorado's economic ranking among the states improved dramatically. 
per capita income growth, uh, per capita income, and economic growth, Colorado zoomed from a mediocre level to being one of the best states. Now, maybe the taxpayers' bill of rights didn't cause all of that, but it was certainly the opposite of the ridiculous scenarios provided by Governor Romer. Ed, as our capital reporter here at the table, I have met enough of our elected leaders um, without the cameras being turned on from both sides of the aisle that will say, yes, Tabor does make it more difficult to govern. But when the cameras are on and they have to speak publicly about it, uh, there's not a whole lot of Republicans Republicans that want to get rid of it. Maybe adjust, maybe play with it. They may go there, but probably not. Are Democrats excited about this idea? Are there more people at the Capitol besides Roy Romer that want Hickelberg to pick up this fight? You know, I think that, going back to what Patty said, it's two different fights. If you tell people, I want to get rid of Tabor, people are going to raise their hackles because they're going to say, well, you're just going to raise taxes on me. If you tell people, I would like to get some, rid of some of the recessive effects of the growth of revenue and how that affects our future year's planning and when we go into a recession, how we can't bounce back as much, well, then people's eyes roll back in their heads. So that's the, that's the trick, is that you have to be able to iterate. And there are a few people who want to get rid of the whole thing. Um, in fact, they're involved in a lawsuit right now. But, but for the most part, people who want to change Tabor want to change that second part. And you really have to sit down with a long conversation with the public about what that means. And the question is, are there people who want to do that conversation. Is this the top priority? Which is what it's really going to take if anyone wants to change some of Tabor's more arcane provisions to make it the focal conversation among state residents. That's how you're going to get it passed. Otherwise, people love to go to the ballot and vote no uh, on pretty much anything. So uh, I think what you need is a time when there's a good economy, when there's not much else going on, when people can focus on this. I'm not sure that we're, I mean, the economy is improving, but I'm not sure we're at the point where this is going to be a laser focus just yet. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Hickenlooper has other things he wants to do rather than spend his next four years on this alone. Right. Gloria, one of the great points that Ed has brought up was the people involved, the, yep. the voters. What do you think their impression of all this going down, whether it's Roy Romer's comments or just the people talking about refunds, what do you think? I'll tell you what I think is, to his point, is confusing. So, and you couple that with all the other things you have to deal with on a daily basis, and the economy isn't good. And you look at, okay, if all things have to be at least equal in order for somebody to come and sit down and explain it to me, and I get it and understand it, because Tabor is convoluted. I mean, there's some pieces where it's like, what? We can't take the money and use it for what we want to use it for. It does make it tough to govern. So, for Joe and Joette Schmo, they look and they say, there has got to be a way we can take the red tape out of this and use this for education and use this for fill in the blank. Otherwise, why do we do it in the first place? A lot of times when I'm thinking about Tabor, I think, oh, that's right. It reminds me of that saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions because it started out good, sounds really good, but it really has tied the hands of government to do some very good things for some entities that need a lot of help. Okay. In his State of State address, Governor John Hickenlooper unveiled his Colorado Blueprint 2.0 program, which focuses development to counties still facing high unemployment. The governor also made hiring a chief marketing officer to afford the state a high priority, but failed to offer detailed policy perspectives on other high-profile issues in his 43-minute speech. Now, David, we don't usually expect, you know, full policy breakdowns in a State of the State. It's meant there to kind of just set the table and go forth. But... It was pretty light as the state addresses go. What was your impression? Well, he 
a, a bolder thing would have been to undo the error he made by putting Colorado into the Obamacare Medicaid expansion, uh, which is going to be, you talk about busting the budget, uh, that, that's, that's a nuclear bomb uh, lobbed into our state budget over the long term. He did have a good idea, which is something back more on the core of what the state government should be helping with. Uh, the, now there's some extra money uh, to hire more social workers to help with child protection. That, that's the a proper approach is to focus on doing the things you're already doing better, when, especially when you're not doing them very well currently, uh, rather than, than big new things. You know, on the, this whole state marketing thing, this does remind me of, of Governor Romer when we were in a recession. Uh, he had this thing called Always Buy Colorado. You know, it's more patriotic to buy something made in Colorado than by those disgusting people in Nebraska or Kansas, apparently. And, of course, that had very little effect on the economy. And, and I, don't, I don't think a, a chief marketing officer is going to be that big a deal. And, in fact, the record on this is weak because the last time we tried something like that, we had got, got the new state logo, which was a triangle, which is crazy because Colorado is in the shape of a rectangle. So I'm sure everyone ended up being extremely confused. <laughs> Especially at any fears about carbon yeah. uh, monoxide. Uh, Ed, you had a great article about this. You were there for the speech. You, uh, you've been there for former ones. What was your impression? What was the impression of people that you were around? I think the impression of people that, that, that viewed this, and it came from both sides, but I think Bill Cabinet really said it the best, the Republican Senate president, he said, this speech was clearly delivered to a split legislature. Hickenlooper has made some really bold state of the state addresses before. In 2012, at the same time he was calling for civil unions to be legalized, the year before it was, he, he called for a plan to end homelessness in Colorado. Now, he has gone over the top in his goals sometimes, but this is the least goal-oriented of his speeches, and it seemed to have the idea that I'm not going to dictate anything to a chamber where Republicans control the Senate, Democrats control the House, and if you push something too stringent, too partisan through, it's just going to die one way or the other. It, it seemed that he was really saying, hey, here are some topics I'd like to hit, and could you all work with me on it? Uh, it was very notable that you know, we're expecting a, a big report from his oil and gas task force about mid-session. And Governor Hickenlooper's advice was, hey, we really need to balance the state's energy and environment, which he has said over and over again. There was, there was no direction there. On Tabor, it was, hey, guys, we're in a bind. Uh, you know, and, and, and he didn't even address issues like construction defects reform that's expected to be one of the biggest issues of this session. And, and so I'm not saying it was, it was insubstantive, but it really reflected, I think, an uncertainty of what he will be able to do with this newly constituted legislature. And I think when you're talking about adding bike trails and hiking trails or putting forth plans to help the long-term unemployed find jobs, those are things that you can find bipartisan agreement on. I think it will be very interesting to see where the rest of this session, and frankly next year, goes as well. And he understands that and is playing this quite close to the vest and quite carefully in the way he asks people for his help. Gloria, what were your impressions of the first day of the state address of Governor Hickelberg's second term? You know what? Uh, we live in a world, especially in a political world, where you live and die by the specifics, so be specific at your own peril. <laughs> and I think that's exactly what he was speaking to, or at least using his words, parsing them, just being as general as he could be, talking about things that have either come up in, of course, the rah-rah speech and the we are doing this and we would like to do this and this is what I'm willing to do to work with this split legislature. But I think it is important. I mean, if you look at what President Obama has gone through for being specific, you think about it. It's like, 
learn some lessons here because you don't know what's going to happen in the world. We don't know what's going to happen here in Colorado, whether it is going to be dealing with Tabor or the next you know, mass shooting, God forbid, or just whatever it will be, you can't dictate how your days, weeks, and months are going to break down as the governor. And so being specific can really gum you up, especially when you have those who want the office where you sit. Mm -hmm. uh, Patty, you've seen a lot of these. What did you think of the proposals? And specifically, I love your uh, viewpoints on the chief marketing officer for Colorado. Funny, that's what I want to talk about. But first, <laughs> I will say, I thought his first speech, his inaugural speech, that was very personal and talked about the fires and the floods and everything that he'd come through and how he changed was a very good speech. I think it now sounds like he hopes the 10,000 random acts of kindness he proposed in that speech are all going to be done at the legislature <laughs> towards his proposals because that might be the only way they actually get things done. The marketing officer uh, idea we do have the triangle, and not just one triangle, it's the double triangle. That's so true. that you first have the green danger sign, you know, the hazard sign that's out there, and now every department is supposed to have a matching sign. So I see these press releases all the time, and it kind of reminds me of Girl Scout cookies. It's kind of that <laughs> level of marketing. And everyone likes Girl Scout cookies, so maybe it will work to make people like Colorado more. The chief marketing officer has several things to do. One is, like it or not, Colorado has legal recreational marijuana. If you go on the tourism site, the official state tourism site, they don't address it. It's not there. The word marijuana is not there. They actually send you to the city of Denver, that hotbed of pot, which does actually have some rules and some advice on what to do with marijuana. But this is something the marketing officer has to deal with. The irony is that Hickenlooper himself is probably the state's best marketing officer. He goes around this country, and he gets great PR for Colorado. It looks like a lively, interesting place to live. Whether we actually need to have another department doing that is a better question. Or, or something out there, you know, uh, come to Colorado uh, for the Thin Mint, stay for the Dozy Doze, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Uh, the Denver City Council is considering a proposal that would give them and other city officials a over 10% pay raise. Council salaries would go from $83,000 to $92,000 a year, and the mayor's salary would go from $155,000 to $171,000 a year. The proposal passed the committee by a vote of 4 to 3 this week and will next head to the full council. Uh, Ed, there, there's usually never a great time for city or any elected official to ask for a pay raise, but a 10% or over 10% pay raise in the city of Denver really fresh into a better economy uh, seemed like a stretch. What's your impression? Well, you're right. There is never a good time to ask for it. And that's why you often see that whenever a government asks for a pay raise, it's usually fairly large because they've put it off for years and years and years. You know, if, if they were getting the same 2% pay raises that, you know, many American workers are getting, probably nobody would notice. But they're not getting them every year. They have to vote themselves it. And so this is a five to ten year thing. I think when you're looking at the mayor's salary, let's consider Denver has a one, roughly $1 billion budget. And if you're looking at the CEO of a corporation, with a billion-dollar budget, they're probably making more than $150,000 a year. We ask the mayor of Denver to be a full-time mayor. There are only a limited number of cities in Colorado that do that. And if you're going to ask for this to be his job, it's probably not an unfair thing to say you should get paid like you were running a corporation. Uh, not even in the same range, a little less, but, you know, like you were running something with a budget like that. So, you know, he's got to make that argument. Um, and, in fact, 
they've got to be really careful, though. If you can make that argument, you still have to make sure you don't get back into the discussion of, hey, let's add trash collection fees. Because people are going to say, oh, are those fees going directly to pay for your kids to go to private school? You know, that's the kind of thing. You, it's the perception you have to worry about here. Now, the interesting thing is the, the city council raises. Because you all can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Denver is the only city in Colorado that has professional city council members. Everywhere else, they get paid, but they don't get paid as a full-time job. And so that's a worthwhile question asking, okay, is 92000 a good salary for a city council member, or should we be having full-time city council members as well? Right. Gloria, they're looking for raises for the city council to be paid actually more than the Colorado governor. Uh, that's a whole different argument, but uh, what did you think when all this uh, uh, news came out this week? Well, I thought the silence was deafening from council members. I mean, I did. And I understand that. I understand the controversy um, because you are dealing with taxpayers who are saying a 10% raise. I mean, I didn't get a raise, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, the, the, the speech that most employees, um, if you're lucky enough to be an employee, get, get well, you know, it deals with, well, you know, everybody's doing good and it's wonderful, it's terrific, but we got another year of tight budgets, which translates, don't even think about coming into my office and asking me for a raise. <laughs> and so you look at 10%, no voter thinks, well, you know, it's been like five years since they got a raise, so this will be, okay, that's fair. We think 10%. You know, that's a lot. And so city council members, what I was reading were, you know, when they were asked about what's your take on this, what's your, what do you think, um, can you weigh in or give me your opinion, they were saying, we're going to wait and see how other council members vote. And we're going to, and I'm thinking, okay, the silence was deafening. And what I thought really was, okay, they don't need it, but they definitely want it. So they're trying to just kind of be quiet until it passes um, and I don't begrudge anyone for going for what they believe they are worth, but I think when you are at the peril of the voters, mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you explain exactly why you are worth that increase. Mm -hmm. uh, Patty, what do you think, 10% uh, raise in Denver? Do you think a lot of folks are getting 10% raises this year? I think $83,000 looks like a lot of money to most of the people working in Denver, Colorado. It's certainly far above the median income here. So it's going to be extremely difficult to sell this to to voters who are going to be reelecting at least some of these city council mm -hmm. people. So you can see why city council people who are running again might be holding back before they really talk about it. No, the mayor doesn't seem to have to talk about anything right now since there's no one running against him. But all of these issues will become a lot more controversial in the weeks to come. David, wrap it up for us. Um, well, I guess I would disagree with Ed that, that uh, corporate pay is, is a comparable. Uh, I think corporate pay at, at the very top is, is way excessive uh, in, in many cases. And besides that, I'm not sure if we had a mayor pay system that Mayor Hancock's performance has been that great uh, to give him a raise. Uh, but I also agree with Patty that, that 83000 is already a lot for a job which formally says you have to go to a meeting every Monday night, which could take all Monday night, and then probably once or twice in the week you may have to go to a committee meeting, uh, which will last a few hours. I would actually favor cutting the Denver City Council salary and giving the money to increase the salaries in the state legislature, where those guys for the 120-day the legislative session work pretty close to around the clock. Well, let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Patty, start us off. It was a story that made headlines not just here but around the country. New Hope Ministries, which stopped a funeral mid-service because the deceased was gay, and there were photographs that showed that lifestyle, just a bad way to show your Christian charity. David. 
Eric Holder, I've made a disgrace before, but this time for ending a disgrace, did a great job. He's uh, terminating the uh, what's called the asset sharing program, where the federal government and, and state governments work together to seize people's money who were never accused of a crime and then, then split the loot. And long overdue, and, and real kudos to him for a, a great step forward for civil liberty and due process. Ed. Last week we were talking about attacks on French journalists. This week we were reading about attacks on French websites. At this point, it's become very clear this is not going after one particular adverse journalist. It's an attack on free speech, and the world needs to stay attuned to this. Gloria. I think we should have been at the march in Paris in France when the entire world seemed, all the world leaders got together. I don't know who dropped the ball on that, but there's no question it should have been either President Obama or Vice President Biden or Secretary of State um, Kerry. I think we should have been there. Say something nice about somebody, always the hardest part of the show. Patty. Easy this week. Colorado was one of the first states to make Martin Luther King Jr. Day a holiday. The Marade, the annual Marade, the parade in the march is starting at 9 o'clock on Monday at City Park. We're going to have some protests, but I think everyone has agreed that what they're all looking for is equality, so I think it'll probably be a pretty smooth morning. David. The Denver Post, which unlike its more pusillanimous journalistic colleagues at, say, Sky News or the New York Times, published this week's cover of, of Charlie Hebdo. Ed. Uh, Tommy Caldwell, Vestas Park, and Kevin Jurgensen, the two men who climbed ah. uh, El Capitan's uh, outer face uh, for inspiring people not only in climbing, but inspiring people to get out more and really go for your goals. And they climb El Capitan in January. That was my big question. Like, why did he join us in July? <laughs> Gloria. Well, he stole it, but definitely <laughs> Kevin Jorgensen and Tommy Caldwell. But even more importantly than that, when they showed their fingers, and their fingers were all bloodied and bruised up and swollen, and I'm thinking, if i got to hang out on the side of a cliff for my fingers to, like, unswell, mm -hmm. I need to go home. <laughs> <laughs> With you on that one. Well, that is all the time we have tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in. Remember that if you missed any part of the show, or want to catch our web-exclusive segment, CIO Postgame, check out our website or YouTube. I also send out our takes via my Twitter feed every Friday afternoon, so please feel free to follow me on Twitter and check it out. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.